What's going on, everybody? This is Dr. Adam Rindy, and I really appreciate you tuning into our podcast, The One Thing Podcast. And today we have a special guest, Dr. Jillian Sarno Teta, who's a naturopathic doctor out of the North Carolina area. She's the author of the book called Natural Solutions for Digestive Health. She's also the creator of a program called Fix Your Digestion. She has a very active social media and internet presence with her expertise in digestive health. In this episode, we're going to go into some details about what is the basics of good digestion. Jillian will also share with us some really simple ways to improve your digestive health. We also talk about how important digestive health is for overall wellness and health and how perhaps, as Hippocrates says, all disease begins in the gut. And we talk about why that might be and how the gut interrelates with other systems in the body. This was a lot of fun for me speaking with Jillian because of my mutual interest in gut and digestive health. And also she's very high energy. She has a tremendous wealth of knowledge to share with us. And I think you'll enjoy hearing what she shares with us during this episode. So without further ado, I'm going to welcome our guest. Jillian, welcome to the One Thing Podcast. It's great to have you here today. Oh, Adam, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, you're welcome. I, I didn't mention this to you first, but because you are also involved with the metabolic effect, I did do like some push-ups and a cold shower. <laughs> Morning. Did you prep you prep for our podcast? I had to. I have to get up. You know, you're you're a high energy person, so I had to kind of get myself up to that level. <laughs> That's great. How do you feel? You feel good? You ready to chat? I do. I feel great. <laughs> awesome. So yeah, well, we both have a common interest in in gut health. And you know, we're gonna just go into gut health topics, and I don't want to waste any time today. Um, and I you know, I just want to we have a lot to talk about. So uh, first, I, I wanted to see if you could share a little bit with us about when you realized that you had a good feel for gut health. Yeah, that's a great question. So when I, when I came out here to North Carolina and started practice, the people who started showing up in clinic, almost everybody had some type of digestive distress. It was uncanny at how many people, like when you actually got into practice, were struggling in this area. So what I began to do was to apply like good naturopathic principles to assessing and managing these folks. They got good results. I sort of began to get a reputation in town for being able to help with digestive cases one thing sort of led to another. Around that time, Facebook was coming out, right? So I started getting on Facebook. My sister-in-law, Jill Coleman, like insisted that I start a Facebook page. Mm -hmm. That Facebook page ultimately led to my book deal for Natural Solutions for Digestive Health. And then things just sort of have snowballed since then, all focusing around digestion. And, and digestion certainly is very sexy right now like in the natural blogosphere, right? Like there's just so much talk about it. Um, but then there's a real practical aspect to being interested in and looking at digestion because we spend so much money as Americans, like just on laxatives, like a billion dollars a year. 
So there's real like dollars and cents reasons to look at this and looking into like improving digestive health overall, like for everybody. Yeah, it's amazing. Like how important the daily bowel movement is to people. <laughs> yes. Yes. And it's mind blowing because like not, not everybody has that, you know, like even the Centers for Disease Control estimates like between 25 and 30% of Americans are constipated at any given time. So that's like one in four you know, you're walking down the street and one in four are Amazing. strong chance of constipation. Yeah. Yes. I mean, and if, if you are faced with that, you realize like you'll often almost do anything to make sure that you have a bowel movement. So it's oh, not. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it like begins to rule your life quite literally. And, you know, pooping, that's such a, like a taboo subject. So it's not like we have open conversations about this, right? Like you're not like at a cocktail party talking about your constipation or your inflammatory bowel disease or those types of things. Right. I guess in certain situations you would be, but it's not like you're not at the grocery store, like or in the in the line at the bank, like chatting up the person next to you about your daily bowel habits. Yeah, but in the walls of a naturopathic office, that's yes, <laughs> that's that's what we talk about quite a bit. <laughs> that's what. Kind of like where I start almost, yes. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Well, um, I, I guess what I see a lot of times in, when you get to be in your shoes where you become an expert in an area of, of um, health and medicine, then you start to get really complicated cases as you go. Has that been your experience? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it certainly can be, especially as like that time goes by and you just get more clients under your belt, so to speak, and your ripple effect sort of uh, enhances out. Um, something else that comes up is you get success by treating the gut for seemingly non-gut related stuff, like say acne or migraines or PMS. You know, we don't, we don't intuitively, most folks intuitively don't connect those things, but because that gut plays such a pivotal role in so many aspects of our overall wellness, you're able to help almost anybody with almost any complaint by improving digestive health, particularly if they have digestive symptoms. So it's just so powerful and so central. Uh, it's, it's exciting, very exciting. Yeah, so can you go into that a little bit more? Because, you know, as, as we were getting trained in naturopathic medicine, I think right away we started hearing um, messages from our professors and from clinicians and, and even legends in the, in the field of naturopathic medicine <laughs> that all, all disease begins in the gut. Yes. And first treat the gut or heal the yes. gut and a lot will fall in place. Why is that and how has, has that concept expanded in in your philosophy yeah that's great so like hippocrates said that right like the father of medicine he had something to say about digestive health during his life so i think that's pretty cool mm -hmm. and how i would answer that question if we look at the gut first and we heal the gut first because the gut is i call the gut the grand central station of the body so it is intimately connected with virtually every other organ system and cell in the body, like continual contact. So your gut is going to, it's so much more than the avenue through which you impart nutrition and like poop out waste. It has roles in defense and immune health. 
it has roles in detoxification, in hormonal balance, in neurological health, and even in cardiovascular health. So these are all major facets of human health. And all, it's like all those tributaries go to the gut. And so if we can focus there at that base level, at that like root level, you can exert great change throughout multiple systems in the body. Yeah, so let's, let's take one of those systems. So for example, there's a lot of emphasis on the gut-skin axis or the gut-brain mm -hmm. axis. Can you talk about mm -hmm. maybe one of those areas or even two if, if you don't mind? Yeah, so in terms of, let's talk about like in terms of neurological health, there's a couple different things to think about here. And maybe some of your savvy listeners know this already. We think about compounds like serotonin as a neurotransmitter, meaning something that is like built and received and is for the brain, right? The neurons, the, the central nervous system. 90% of our serotonin is produced by specialized cells called enterochromaffin cells that are in the lining of the GI tract. Our gut also has roles in the manufacturing of GABA. And beyond neurotransmitters, we have an entire brain, so to speak, that resides in our gastrointestinal tracts. From the base of the esophagus all the way down to the rectum, there's an enormous highway community of nerve cells that collectively are equal in number to the spinal cord and second only to the brain, right? So that's what we call it the second brain. It's called the enteric nervous system. And it is responsible for managing and monitoring all aspects of digestion, including your regularity and your motility and like the production of digestive factors and like what, what things are doing, what, how we experience pain in the GI tract. And it's independent from the central nervous system, but it is influenced by it. And there's this two-way relationship to it. So that's where this conversation about like chronic stress and like post-traumatic stress disorder and like, tr you know, trauma and abuse, how these things can confer higher risk to major gastrointestinal diagnoses and other types of diagnoses. Mm -hmm. So even just like we take one little sliver, you know, the gut is right there, like heavily integrated into that system. Right. And so you were saying it's a two-way system. So meaning the issues like, primary brain disorders can also affect gut health, right? Absolutely. And gut health has been shown to confer risk to neurodegenerative conditions like Parkinson's and even Alzheimer's disease. Yeah. So there is this like two-way thing. And in terms of the central nervous system, folks are pretty well aware of the branch that's called, it's called the autonomic nervous system, and it's divided into like fight or flight and rest and digest, those two branches. If we are in a chronically stressed out state, what begins to happen is that that sympathetic or fight or flight branch becomes more pronounced and more dominant. We call this like, you know, sympathetic over dominance or dysautonomia. That has enormous negative repercussions for the GI tract as well. Mm -hmm. So that's where we get into things like de-stressing and like all of that type of stuff. Yeah. And one of the questions I've always wanted to ask you is because you have so much experience also in metabolic health is mm -hmm. 
how how do you see the two worlds interfacing gut and metabolism i mean it it might seem like a basic question but i'm really interested to hear what you say about that yeah well it's it's a it's a really cool question because the gut produces the gut itself produces about 20 or so hormones the vast majority of which are responsible for the metabolism of blood sugar and energy production and like maintaining that energetic balance you know us naturopaths call it homeostasis right so there is a an enormous intimate interface there between the two and that is just that's just from a hormonal perspective then if we think about the microbiome Mm -hmm. There is lots of research to suggest that imbalances in the microbiome create you know, a greater level of inflammation in the lining of the small intestine, which leads to increased intestinal permeability, which leads to more immune provocation, which leads to different types of bacterial products crossing into the blood. And those, we call that endotoxemia, where you are receiving toxic compounds from your body, whether it's from the microbiome or normal products of metabolism. So we're seeing that these endotoxic compounds coming from certain dysbiotic bacteria can also influence metabolism. So that concept's just fascinating. So like a leaky gut or intestinal permeability can make someone have weight problems. Yes, obesity, type two diabetes, even depression. And you know, you know, you remember this, Adam. And, and you're, you know, you're in a state where uh, naturopathic medicine is fully recognized and all this type of thing. But even five years ago, I was called a quack for like using the term leaky gut or increased intestinal permeability. And now, these years later, we find that indeed that that piece is an enormous factor in virtually all metabolic disorders. And then. What we're also seeing is that many gastrointestinal disorders like inflammatory bowel disease like that also becomes, that has metabolic components too, right? So there's even a fusion there between like metabolic disorders and, you know, say gastrointestinal disorders. Like there's overlap there as well. So it's almost like once you've done your basic blood work for any given condition and you've had a thorough conventional workup. It's almost like, well, if problem isn't solved or if there's issues with that particular approach or treatment, it's almost like, okay, next step, gut health. Yeah, like have a look in the microbiome. And so when I'm first, when I'm first starting out with someone, we sit down for an hour and we really go through what these folks are eating, what their lifestyle is like, how they sleep, how they stress, all of those things. And maybe we'll make some dietary tweaks first. Maybe we'll try a couple supplements. If things aren't rapidly and significantly changing, like within that first four to six week period, the next thing that I'll often go to, and I've, this is just based on my own clinical experience, is I, I really enjoy doing stool testing. Mm-hmm. So we assess for dysbiosis or overgrowth of some type. So dysbiosis. I just want to back up. Dysbiosis is a broad general term for any type of imbalance of the microbiome, Mm -hmm. whether it is too few good guys, an overgrowth of commensals that could kind of go either way, good or bad, depending on who's around. Uh, Potentially pathogenic organisms can be overgrown. There can be the presence of like 
frank pathogenic organisms, or it could be a translocation, you know, a bacteria where, it doesn't, where they don't belong. So all of those things fall under the spectrum of dysbiosis, and you can assess that through a stool test. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's a, it's a valuable tool. They're not terribly expensive. You can get a lot of data and save a lot of time and money for folks by doing that. Yeah, and so if we can go into that a little bit further, what what do you like to use to assess for leaky gut or intestinal permeability? Well, so I, it's funny. I actually don't do much testing to assess for intestinal permeability because I'm just assuming that if there's a dysbiotic process on board, that there is some component of increased intestinal permeability. Mm-hmm. If someone comes in and they're very hot to test for that, I like the Cyrex arrays. Um, I forget what number it is, but I use Cyrex. Uh Um, And then in terms of stool testing, I use two labs. Uh, I use Genova. They they do microscopy and they have a comprehensive digestive stool analysis and they have a microbial ecology panel. Their Mm -hmm. two are a little bit different. One is more comprehensive. The other one is just looking at bad guys. And then I also use the GI map test which is PCR testing. So it's looking just at you know, DNA and it also looks at inflammatory markers in the bowel, it looks at antibiotic resistant genes. I think it looks at like a couple different other non-bacterial related things, but it's yeah. quite comprehensive. Yeah, I, I agree. Those two tools have been game changing you know, for you know, just understanding the patient. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you can find fast, like based on their travel history or I don't know, their diet, like you see so many interesting things. And then you see people who they don't have, like there's hardly any beneficial flora there (laughs) or not Mm -hmm. hardly any, but like they're really lacking in that way. Mm -hmm. Well, this has been really interesting so far. And I, I, what I'd like to do is kind of go back a little bit into like digestive health 101. And one of the things I really enjoyed by reading your book, The Natural Solutions for Digestive Health is how you break down the digestive process for people so that just how someone just sitting down eating a meal might be able to improve their digestive health by some of the tools that you speak about. So if you could just maybe go into those areas a little bit, that'd be great. Yeah, like in terms of non-dietary stuff or just like my general framework for how I would approach? Yeah, just general framework about digestive health. Like when you sit down and you start smelling your food, what happens? Okay, okay. (laughs) Yeah, so yeah, digestion really does start like with a thought in your mind, right? You know, we're like, okay, we're going to eat. And then this and sort of starts the production of stomach acid and enzymes and your bile gets flowing so that when food actually ends up in your stomach, all of these digestive factors are available to break down your macronutrients, right? The protein, carbohydrates, fats into their little teeny tiny constituent building blocks of amino acids, fatty acids, and starches. It's these little teeny tiny building blocks that are what actually get absorbed in the small intestine and what, are, what is conferring nutrition upon you. And then as our food moves from the absorptive layer of the small intestine into the large, that's where we are really, our body is removing water and forming stool until we are finally ready to have a bowel movement. And then we have that like call to stool. 
And in terms of, well, okay, that'll sound great, Jillian, but how do we ensure that like digestion is good? My very basic framework is eating foods that are appropriate for you, AKA like finding eliminating food sensitivities if possible, making sure that you have enough of these digestive factors to actually break down your meal. We could do a little spin-off and say the way in which you eat is quite important, like not eating while you're on the run and these types of things. Mm -hmm. And then we also want to make sure that that microbiome is in good working order. It's robust, it's diverse, it's non-infected, that the lining of our GI tract is intact top to bottom, particularly in the small intestine and the stomach. And we could argue all aspects and areas. And then that that second brain is balanced. Mm -hmm. So... That's a lot of like little bullet points, right? But it's, imp it's important to kind of frame it out that way because these are all the like major areas that people can become compromised in, mm -hmm. right? So, so by doing a good, by doing like a good history, you know, like kind of chatting with people, figuring out what their current lifestyle is like, what their past lifestyle is like, what their current symptoms are, you know, what makes it better and worse and this and that you can begin to hone in on, all right, where are some of these deficits? And then you begin to build that up. You do the other things too, you know, because likely if there's dysbiosis, there's also leaky gut. And mm -hmm. if there's leaky gut, there's probably going to be more food sensitivity, right? So they all kind of feed on one another. Mm -hmm. But taking that approach, you're covering all your bases. And in my experience, it's been very effective at getting folks closer to where they want to be. Yeah, so... Let's take one of those areas because this is sort of a often confused concept, stomach acid. Mm -hmm. So what, what's your take on stomach acid? Because a lot of medications try to suppress stomach acid for yeah. sometimes for re really good reasons. You know, if someone has Barrett's esophagus or if someone has yeah. a precancerous ulcer, um, right. you know, there's these tools are, are needed, but this is sort of a controversial topic. People go on acid blockers for heartburn or reflux. Um, how, how does the digestive process use stomach acid? Yeah, it's a great question. It's funny, you know, these people, I see these people too, they've been on these drugs for decades and like they've never been, there's never been a conversation to get off. And what I find fascinating is that these drugs, when they were originally approved by the FDA, were only approved for nine months use at a time really now, i did not yes. know that <laughs> and now you know we see people on that they've been on them for 25 years yeah. so stomach acid is extremely important in a couple different ways one our stomach acid is helping us break down proteins so unbroken if if these protein molecules are not, not being broken down they are more provocative to the immune system and they are more likely to be you know sort of fermented and putrefied by the microbiome and also then provoke the immune system so there's the whole digestion aspect of stomach acid mm -hmm. then we have the whole defense aspect of stomach acid the stomach has a very low ph just like one to two our own ph is around seven so that very few organisms can survive in an appropriately acidified stomach. 
So the vast majority, or not, I don't want to say that, but a lot of pathogens that we are exposed to, actually you probably could say the vast majority because also most of our immune system resides in the gut, yeah? So we eat inadvertently, you know, pathogens and our stomach acid helps us take care of that. Mm-hmm. The other thing stomach acid does is it helps to uh, institute appropriate movement of the small intestine. So not too fast, not too slow. So adequate stomach acid helps keep you regular, pooping regularly. If we're in a low acid environment, you're also in a slow motility environment of the small intestine. It doesn't necessarily mean you're in a slow environment in the large intestine because those two actually do not work um, like at the same speed. And then if you have a small, a slow, small intestine environment, you're more likely to get overgrowth there, right? Mm-hmm. Small intestine bacterial overgrowth. So it's like this nasty cycle keeps going. What a couple of things to think about in folks who have chronic reflux is one, there of course is this theory that, you know, there's actually not enough stomach acid, that adequate stomach acid helps keep that lower esophageal sphincter closed the lower esophageal sphincter is that like little trap door at the bottom of the esophagus that stays closed and only opens when you're swallowing something so food can drop in the stomach. If it's open when it's not supposed to be, that's when we get things like reflux and can feel, you know, burning and those types of things. There's a theory that that sphincter is also a physiological sphincter, that it's sensitive not just to mechanical pressures like us swallowing food, but also to an appropriate pH. And if the pH is not low enough, it will open. And then any acid that's in there is going to create issues. So there's that aspect. And then there is another aspect of reflux and heart burn that has to do with that second brain again. So the lower esophageal sphincter also is controlled in part by the second brain. And if we have something like dysautonomia again, or the sympathetic overdominance, you can begin to see symptoms that are popping up that have never had before. And acid reflux is one of those. So when someone comes to me and they're super stressed out, it's a question I often ask like, oh, and now are you experiencing heartburn too? And people think I'm like clairvoyant or something, but this is a major piece of what goes on with that second brain dysfunction is heartburn. So those are two main ways that I like kind of look at heartburn and reflux. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I have been following this aspect of of reflux for a while. And I'm so glad you mentioned the nervous system component um, because, you know, it's, it's interesting. There's even, I don't know if you've seen some of the studies on breathing exercises and meditation compared to PPIs and, yeah. and they've had sort of head to head studies. And um, in some, in some sense, you know, there's, there's reason to believe that breathing exercises work quite well to help control reflux. It wouldn't surprise me at all, Adam, not at all. Meditation, breathing exercises, getting enough sleep, actually taking a lunch break when you're working and like leaving your desk, like not being constantly available for everybody all the time. Like all those like little simple things I absolutely would think could decrease reflux and, and heartburn. Yeah, yeah. So um, if you were, let's say there was, absolutely no medications or interventions for digestive health and you you only had between like three things to choose for 
choose from to maintain good digestive health from top to bottom of the digestive tract, what would be some of those? Like non, like non-medication type Non-medication yeah. or potentially like supplements if, if, yeah. that's, if that's the case. But well, like, uh, so this is going to sound so simple, but things that are simple aren't always easy. So the things that I would say to folks is if you want to like start improving your digestive health today, like after we wrap up here, a couple things. One, when you eat, you want to sit down. You want to have, like, you want to be seated somewhere. You don't want to be eat standing up. Preferably, you take a couple deep breaths before you begin eating because this helps to activate the parasympathetic branch of the nervous system, which is that rest and digest branch, right? It helps stimulate all of your good digestive factors. I'd have folks chew their food until it's soft. So they don't need to count bites or anything like that, but you probably do want to chew your food more than twice before you swallow it. (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, I would have people do a daily walk. I'd have people go for like a nice leisurely walk, preferably in nature if they can, but if not, like wherever, uh, every single day. And those are things that if you do that every day for a year, like you will change your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's amazing how... You know, we try to basically hack our physiology a lot of times, yeah. you know, to try to get more done and and think that things are just going to work okay. And right. what you're talking about is just being in in touch with you know natural rhythms, right? Natural yes. processes. Yes. Oh, thank you for mentioning that. Sleep also. I would say go to bed before 10 o'clock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> People, you know, and I'm guilty of this too sometimes. Like I'm up on social media or like, just, or just whatever, but actually having, actually going to bed earlier rather than later. Uh, we know that that's way better for your circadian rhythms, way better for hormonal balance, like just way better overall. We are diurnal creatures. You know, we're not, you know, some of us are night owls, but in general, most of us are not actually built that way. And most of us probably don't get the sleep that we need. Mm-hmm. And sleep is another one of those like just central, you know, you can have the perfect diet beyond perfect supplements, exercise, all the things. But if you are not sleeping, you are going to be miserable sooner than later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when your book came out in 2014, um, you know, it's, it's a great book, by the way. I hope everybody who's listening to this picks it up. And um, I read through my copy. I got it a couple of weeks ago, and and uh, I learned a lot by going through it. And I, I'm curious, you know, since you wrote the book, there's been a lot of um, periphery topics that have come out, like intermittent yep. fasting, ketogenic yep, yep. diet, yep. and uh, circadian rhythm. Um, science has been solidified quite a bit since then. Um, how has that changed your view on digestive health as it relates to those topics? Well, no, it's, I mean, I think, you know, research science, like it just hones, you know, it hones our understanding and it puts us in different directions and it like clarifies the messages that we are theorizing on. Right. So I think it just enhances, enhances our current understanding. And, you know, before we um, jumped on the call, you were like, what would you like add to your book now? And I think that's such a great question because, there's a lot that I would add include like, so all of the research into the microbiome has been absolutely exploding. So I would definitely talk about FODMAPs and the microbial connection between cardiovascular health, more in depth, <clears throat> more in depth about the neurodegenerative conditions. Pretty much I put a bigger emphasis or a larger emphasis. The book would just get longer on 
on microbiome health and dysbiosis. Like right now, it's just sort of like a chapter and I talk about it in the context of a healthy microbiome. And then also I would be more into all the second brain pieces and way more into the trauma pieces. So all those themes are in the book. I would just like greatly build them out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. I probably, maybe I should ask. I need to like see if I can get like um, addition two of natural solutions to digestive health in the works. Oh I yeah. Look into that. I, I just assumed it's coming <laughs> on its way. <laughs> Easy for me to say, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's see the, the, uh, I guess with, with our time left, I just wanted to hear more about what you're up to professionally and anything you'd like to share with the audience. Cool. Well, my one-stop shop for everything, like for folks who want to connect is my website. It's www.jillientita.com. There you can find my book. You can find all of my social media. You can find my blog. And I have a number, like over a dozen, of free educational sequences, free training, free programs, checklists in a wide array of digestive or digestive-related things. So I would definitely encourage folks to check it out. I am constantly like researching or building or developing these educational sequences and programs. I really, really like it. I'm less and less in clinical practice these days. I think it's just like a natural evolution. Um, I'm in clinical practice just a few hours a week now. I do enjoy it. And, you know, I spend a lot of time going on my walks and playing with plants, (laughs) you know, tinkering in my garden and such. Yeah. Well, this has been wonderful. I I could talk to you for hours I'm sure and thank you for for being on um I yeah thank you for taking the time to speak with us oh Adam thank you so much for having me I really enjoyed it too I'm looking forward to um future work with you excellent well take care and have a great day you too Thanks for tuning in to the episode with Dr. Jillian Sarno Teta. I hope you enjoyed it. Please do me a favor and share this episode with anybody that you feel may benefit from it. And also please like us on iTunes and Stitcher and some of the other podcast players. Really trying to get the word out and get this information into as many people's hands or ears as possible. So thank you again. And we have more episodes on the way. So please sure, please make sure to look out for the latest releases on my Instagram page, which is dr.adam.rindy on Instagram. Also, there's a Facebook page for the One Thing Podcast. And you can find out when the latest releases are coming about and just other information that we post also if you go to our anchor homepage there's usually links about the guest and also show notes that might be relevant to each episode so visit anchor.fm and search for the one thing podcast with dr adam rindy and there will be more information and more follow-up information about each episode okay Well, thanks again and have a wonderful day.